You're like a circle that floats around me, keeping me safe and sound. And when I fall, you've tied a rope to me. You're blessing me every day. I was down with an illusion, like a sparrow with broken wings. But now I shine with your reflection on me. I'm getting back up on my feet. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Inclusion Unscripted, where we're not just talking about diversity and inclusion, we're living it. We're living it because that's what we do. Inclusion Unscripted was built on the premise that we have to live more powerfully, we have to show up bolder, we have to say what needs to be said, and we have to create a safe space even when we're having tough conversations about ourselves. Hi, I'm Margaret Spence, and every Friday at 2 p.m., I'm here on LinkedIn Live. Today we are streaming on LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter. <clears throat> so for those of you who have not joined Inclusion Unscripted before, you know that I, if you don't know, I come to this without a script, with just a topic item, and we talk through the issues that I see out there in the world of diversity inclusion. For this month, we are going to focus on talent acquisition. How do we get diverse talent into the imaginary pipeline that organizations have? Because I'm going to start there. Let's just go there. See, the one question that I get almost daily, right, from clients is how do I get more diverse candidates? How do I get more diversity in my pipeline? How do I get diverse candidates hired? You know, we need a slate of people. And then the question I say to them is, Where's your elimination point? Where is it that you start eliminating black and brown people? And then there's generally this silence on the other end of the Zoom. Because <laughs> they go, what do you mean? I say, you know, it shouldn't be so hard for me to get hired that you have to now come ask me how to get hired. It shouldn't be that. But here we are. So that's our topic for today. And that's really what we're going to focus on is how do we get diverse candidates hired? It is the thing that every organization is talking about. There is a talent shortage. A lot of you HR folks out there have coined this the great resignation. Mm -hmm. No, people didn't resign. They just hated you and they left. So let's be frank. Be <laughs> honest about it. They just didn't like you and they left. That's it. They looked around and they thought, ah, I'm out of here. It's been great. But you guys gave it a title and here we are. We've got this going on. So that's where we are and that's what we're going to talk about. So a couple seconds about me. I'm the founder of the Inclusion Learning Lab and we have just launched a community for DEI and talent leaders. Because here's what I know. And you can find out about the community at Inclusion Learning Lab backslash inclusionlearninglab.com backslash community. One of the things that I know is the people who are doing diversity and inclusion are doing it in a silo all by themselves. They have no support. They have no one to circle around them. And oftentimes they're the only person in the organization doing the work of DNI. And because of that, they are in this space without adequate psychological and emotional support. Mm -hmm. The Inclusion Learning Lab community is there for that purpose. 
we're there to put our arms around the, those of you doing the work of DEM. It doesn't matter what industry you're in, what organization you work for, whether you have a team of 100 or you're the only person doing the work. We're opening it up for all of the folks in the talent space who care about and who are doing the work of DEI. So check out the Inclusion Learning Lab community. And the last thing is <clears throat> every the third Wednesday, third Wednesday is what it's called, we are going to be having an open forum for DEI leader. You can check out that information on our website. Third Wednesday, we will have an open forum. It's an hour. We'll pick a topic. We'll talk it through. It'll be open mic. It will not be recorded. It's a safe space for us to talk about specific topics on a micro level. So now that I'm done with the infomercial, and I'm done telling you all about that, everybody's able to see that I have a guest this week. And I'm like super excited. I'm like, calm down, Margaret. (laughs) (laughs) So I have to tell you, my sister, Kristen Greggs, better known as Trap Recruiter, is joining me today. I have to tell you how we met because this is just too. So we actually met in person, which is so cute. Now we we met on you know on LinkedIn and Twitter. I mean, mm-hmm. really Twitter, <laughs> and, uh, because then LinkedIn wasn't like the place where we could go all in about stuff. So no, we would go all in on the HR community on Twitter. So we started following each other on Twitter, and then I spoke at the ERE conference in Washington D.C. and Kirsten was my introducer. She introduced yeah. my session. And we sort of hung out and we've just been great. And every so often I pick up the phone and I text her and I say, hey, how are you doing? <laughs> I may have forgotten about you for a while, but I see you on social media. Yes. Well, let me tell you about Kirsten. <laughs> She's the founder and CEO of Trap Recruiter, a recruiting, consulting, and career coaching firm. With over 20 years of experience in talent acquisition, she's passionate about helping organizations implement creative recruiting strategies to attract, select, and retain historically excluded top talent. And that's major. Mm-hmm. She goes, she does this through full cycle recruiting, recruiting process optimization, facilitating workshops, hosting training sessions and webinars, helping job seekers find their voice in the hiring process. And we're going to talk about that for sure. Mm-hmm. And Kirsten was featured on a featured expert at ERE, which is where we connected in DC, in her site, Diversity Jobs, Hire Easy, Talent View, Tech Target, BBC World News, BNC. Um, I could go on and on and on. Yeah, we don't need to do all that. Nobody cares. (laughs) We need people to know when you start talking, you're talking from a place of authority. Thank you. But yeah, no one cares about that. (laughs) Welcome to Inclusion Unscripted. I'm so happy to be here. So you were just on on link on my LinkedIn live, Trap Chat Live. That was fun. And I'm glad that we have had the opportunity to connect work-wise again so soon. So thank you for having me. And I'm I'm happy to be here to kick off your TA month. Yes, my TA month. So we are all about talent acquisition. I'm actually right. I wrote a, a white paper on mm-hmm. talent acquisition in a remote work environment? How do we create inclusion? So this should be good. My editor is editing it now and we're going to slice it up. Ooh, nice. Go out. So, so tell me from your lens, yes. what is the, what are the, what's the number one way? Let's just go there. What's the number one way that we fail diverse candidates in the talent acquisition process? We treat them like 
the like the like they're not the underrepresented. We treat them like they're not marginalized. We apply the same strategies. We apply the same traction and selection criteria without taking into account that we have biases that have been driving our hiring decisions, which is why our workforce isn't as diverse as it should be in the first place. It's most diversity strategies, again, through my lens, and I've worked for some of the largest defense contractors that are global. And, and you know, there's a, there's a lot that goes into that. And there's a lot of excuses that are made as to why, you know, our, our workforce isn't as diverse as it, as it could be, you know, because they don't have security clearances. Well, why don't they have security clearances? And then, hmm, but that's a different conversation. So <laughs> a lot of times we're very reactionary in our diversity hiring strategies and we leave them for like a one time a year thing. So once a year we go to Nesby, once a year we go to Rose Holman, once a year we're at Bea, which is also part of Nesby. You know, once a year we're, you know, we're on camp on, on different campuses than our preferred schools. Once a year we partner with a community organization because we got to pay uh, what my old VP used to call pay at church because we got to pay at church because we made some some faux pas. And so we said, oh, we're, we're partnering with the XYZ organization and we're going to train up and, you know, provide them some resources for how to, to be into, in, you know, this industry or that industry. So we, we do a lot of things that are reactionary. We're not really committed to diversity hiring until there's a problem, until someone says, uh, why is your, for example, your Black population only 3%? And you're a global company with 50,000 employees. Right, right, right. So, you know, it, the interesting thing that I often ask organizations is, what is the process to hire a diverse candidate, right? What are the step-by-step-by-step process that you put in place to, to attract diverse candidates? We just did a review of... 40 clients that we had, and we did this behind the scenes, not a part of anything. We just pulled their data and we sort of distilled it as, as one data set, right? Okay. And we looked at it and we started to figure out where do they eliminate black and brown candidates in their hiring process, right? So a lot of clients, when we work with them, we'll ask them for their hiring funnel. Tell me about your hiring funnel. How do you get from point A to point B? Right. And then they'll, most of them have never, ever considered the hiring funnel. And then all of a sudden they'll have to produce it because we asked for it. And we'll realize that there is a specific step where the black and brown candidates get thrown out the door. Right. Okay. And we'll serve that back to them and they'll say, but that's not possible. We need more diverse candidates. No, no, no. You had 7,000 black and brown people apply. You only hired 18 of them. It's It's not for the shortage of black and brown people applying, right? So when you are out there trying to source candidates for an organization, what is your process where you say, they've asked me to give them a diverse slate. 
How are you finding this diverse slate that these folks are asking for? So I don't really like that approach because I have been in situations where I will be asked where, where there is where there is a a number of people we we need to interview you know we're going to interview six people three of them you know 50% of them have to be diverse candidates and that could mean woman slash white woman that could mean black man that could mean black woman you know you get double points for that that could mean you know that could mean someone who is who is neurodiverse but it never does like we we never think about that you know, we never think about about or persons with different abilities when we're thinking about our diversity pipeline. And one of the things that I try to drive home is that all these other things, like we want to hire this many veterans, we want to hire this many persons in, you know, the uh, the 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 age group that's above, you know, that we're saying we're excluding. We want to hire this many people at the entry level. I, and I keep trying to tell people the diversity exists in each of those groups as well. But each time you're choosing the white version of that <laughs> and not and, and not use it. And, and that counts as a diversity hire, you know. So I don't really like the, the slate thing where where it happens. I, I, you know, you, you talked about getting through the funnel. But in my lens, it's they don't even get in the funnel. They don't even get to the funnel to even go through the process because when we are sourcing, when recruiters are sourcing, we're using, again, those same tools, those same methods. We're not going outside. So if you are a fisher, a fisher person, is that a word? <laughs> if, if you like to fish, how about that? If, if you're fishing, you know, and you're like, oh, I hope I catch some catfish today because I really want to fry these up and, you know, put them between some white bread, make a sandwich. Yeah, that's nice. But you're at a pond that don't have no catfish. <laughs> so how are you, how you going to catch catfish, you know, or, or you're, you're, you're continuing to, to source or you're continuing to focus your attraction efforts in places that are not diverse. So you're only getting the two black students in the tech program from MIT, or, well, that's not a good example because I actually do have some diversity there, but, you know, you're only getting those two, those two black students from the Ivy League school who are even in that, that line uh, or in that subject matter expertise. And you got, and you're only going to pick one of them because there's only four positions to mm -hmm. begin with. Mm -hmm. You know, so so that's what I'm saying is that we, we can't keep saying that, that. And that's where you get that. Oh, well, there's no talent out there. You're not looking in the right places. Right. And it's not that there's no talent out there. I think I want people. There's a couple things I want them to stop saying. I want them to stop saying there's no talent out there. I want them to stop saying there's no qualified black people because that's what they may not say it out of their mouth. But yeah, that's, that's what, what they're they mean. thinking. And a lot of them say it. Well, we tried to find diverse candidates, but they really couldn't find anybody that was qualified. What What's the definition of qualified? Because when you got hired, you weren't qualified. Correct. Unless you came in the door. If, if this was your first job and you've been at the company 20 years, when you got there, you weren't qualified. Correct. Right. But now you're deciding that the candidate coming in the door needed to be qualified. So the question is, what, did, what do you say? Because I know it has to be difficult for you on the sourcing side 
when you are constantly having to educate the populace, because here's an even thing I'll say to our clients, you want diversity recruiting. Let's say you're going to pick a school, University of Chicago. I don't know. Came out of the air, right? Not anything particular. So you, you California, you Chicago people don't get all bent out of shape. Or if you go to Stanford, (laughs) right? Okay. Or you go to University of Texas or anywhere else. There are Black students on that campus that you are going to. Mm-hmm. But you don't go looking for them. So if Not you unless say, you're going there for, you know, the Black alumni. <laughs> right. Yes. So you're not going there to say, well, where's the Black Students Association on this campus, this Ivy League campus that I'm a part of? Because there is a Black Student Association almost on every single campus across the U.S., Yes. Okay. So you're you, even if you decide, well, I don't have a quote HBCU strategy, mm-hmm. right? I'm gonna go and I'm gonna go on to this campus. Okay, fine. Go on to that campus. No problem. All right. Now what? You've gone on to the campus. You're picking the same white students. Of course they do, but but we also have you know we have our folk we, we, what we call our focus schools, and you know those are those are the ones that we invest in. Those are the ones that we hire the most people from, and the alumni that are there, the ones that go back that that are that are engaged in doing that. They they're they are also very homogeneous too. So so you're getting that. I don't know if you if you if you remember, but I did a post. One of my last ERE posts when I was still blogging for them was about why don't, like you don't have black candidates because you don't have black recruiters, right. and and that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. But it is what it is, you know. Like I am an attraction, and and not just because I'm Kirsten, but because. I'm level setting in a way like people are going to feel com- people who look like me are going to feel comfortable with me the same as as, as any other professional and, and you mentioned HBCUs but we're still we're doing the same and I, and I'm and this is going to going back to my point that we're applying those same things so when when we have you know four Ivy League schools that we love to recruit from you know so that's where we're getting all of our talent you know, we're doing the same thing to the HBCUs. We're only focusing on these two, you know, right? right. And, and, and there's a million out there. You know, I went to I did not go to an HBCU, but I went I went to school in Richmond, which was surrounded by two. And I tell people all the time, Virginia State University has one of the best tech programs out there. Why aren't we there? Mm-hmm. Right. And because, there are well, well, Howard, Hampton, Morehouse, Spellman, and FAMU. Shout out FAMU. FAMU. Yes. yes. <laughs> Don't forget they, FAMU. But, but they are awesome. And their alumni right. take care. Like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. But, but here is the thing. Even right here where I am in Florida, there's mm-hmm. Edward Waters College. Mm. Right? Okay. That there's Bethune-Cookman. Yes. Right? There's other schools there. here. There's other schools here. So if you only go to the one school that you know in the state, then, <laughs> and then you say, well, we, we have a relationship with them. It's not enough. It's not Correct. enough. Build a to... new one. Yes, then build, right. build, build a new one. Right. It, it's, yeah. not, it's not hard. So yeah, like my thing is, again, getting people into the funnel seems to be where I come in to the most where where I have the most trouble 
And some of that is because of the types of positions that I recruit for. So when I, I work a lot in niche fields, like I did 18 months, I rebuilt a global trade compliance disc for an organization who had had some issues. <laughs> just, we'll, just, we'll just say that, I'm not gonna call them out. But yeah, I, I came back, like I was only focused on hiring a certain person. And again, that field's not very diverse. People are historically excluded. So when you have positions that are written a certain way that requires, you know, exper experiential expertise in this field, there's only so many people. You know, I, I uh, shout out to Torin Ellis, you know, he, he had me assist him with some things he was doing in, with an architecture firm, you know, mm -hmm. and I was even surprised to know how how few you know licensed mm -hmm. architects there were mm -hmm. who and and not even that but who were of color sure. you know right. right so you know like what do you do with that you know you, you can't for, for certain things you can't change your you know, your, your requirements, because yeah, you do need a license to do this. Yes, you do need to have certain credentials to do, to do that. So, you know, it gets difficult. And, and I think for a lot of us, especially someone like me who has over 20 years of work experience in, in recruiting even, is that I am now at a, le at a certain level where I'm interfacing with people like you. I'm interfacing mm -hmm. with, with, the lawyers, the doctors, the, you know, the people, and, and I, and I, and I lose in my mind because I know people, you know, mm -hmm. I lose in my mind that that's a, such a small percentage mm -hmm. of the population because mm -hmm. they're in my ecosystem, right? you know, right. and, right. and having to go outside. And then that becomes a, then that becomes an issue because those same people are the ones that you reach out to. You know, you start with your network, right. you start close inside of your network. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we, we're recycling all the same people. All the same that's people. why all mm -hmm. the same people are getting all the opportunities because we know someone that knows someone that knows someone, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. But there had to already be, be a, there had to already be a connection. And a lot of times those connections are exceptions. Not right. that they're, not right. they're exceptional, but that mm -hmm. they're exceptions um, right. because right. yeah, it's, it is an exception that, you know, mm -hmm. my, I could just look at my line sisters, you know, like how many are attorneys, you know, like how many have master's degrees, you know, like just, mm -hmm. yeah, that, there's not that many, not many. Right. You know, it, it's one of the things that we have been pushing our clients, pushing them, pushing them, pushing them to invest in a long tail talent acquisition yes. strategy. Okay. A lot of our clients are in the insurance industry and the mm -hmm. insurance industry is not a sexy industry. It's not one that people want to run into, but it is one of the highest paid industries out there. Okay. Oh. You can walk into the insurance company in an insurance, <clears throat> an insurance job and in a couple of years be making six figure plus, right? Not 20 years. We're talking a couple of years. Okay. Right. Most people, when they think about insurance, they think, oh, it's selling. There are thousands of positions. There are actuaries. There are policy servicing. There's underwriting. There's risk management. There's yes. nearing. There's all of these positions. IT, 
and there's adjusters, there's policy, there's the sales side. HR. Right? (laughs) And HR, exactly. But because we don't create a long tail strategy, for example, your your architecture firm, going to the high school and start working in a historically Black community in the high school and start investing in the high school, give the kids the opportunity Teach an AutoCAD class in that high school. Get kids engaged. Give them laptops. This is a long-range strategy. It is not a, it's recruiting is not a strategy of we need talent, we can't find them, nobody's It's not plug and play. It's not. It is not plug and play. And and that is is something that I, I fight every single day. You know, I'm like, you cannot expect to keep maintaining these same rigid structures, you know? Like right. I came out of school with a undergraduate degree in sociology and international studies. That does not mean recruiter. <laughs> you can train people to do things, like, like real talk, you know? Like you can figure it out. But, you know, when you are putting there, there are there are so many roadblocks like you just said, go to your local high school. Well, yeah, when these blue chip companies or these these companies that, you know, everyone are the most sought after are in locations that are not accessible to a certain a certain people that becomes an issue. One thing that was great during the pandemic, well, it still is the pandemic, but one thing that was great at the beginning was the idea that people could work remotely. And again, right. I understand that some that that there are a lot of jobs that don't require people to, that people have to be on site. And I am one who has advocated to, to help us remember that. Everybody is not returning to the office. There are a lot of people who never left, you oh, know? <laughs> Right. There's a whole segment that never left. That never left, you know, right. certain jobs. So like, but, but when we're thinking about those office jobs that people could have or those jobs people could do outside, like they're like, we, we, it opened up, you know, because someone in Iowa or someone in someone who is 50 miles away because it's mm-hmm. more affordable, mm-hmm. who doesn't want to drive a hundred miles a day to get to work, like they can do that job, you know? But now that we are telling people, oh, you have to be, no, 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 we, we want you inside hybrid for these jobs that people have been doing for two years, you know, right. outside of the office, like we have to think about that. And then again, accessibility is a, a accessibility is a big thing. Everybody, like you wanted people to work from home and you wanted them to put in more hours and you wanted them to have their laptop on and you wanted them to do this, this. Well, guess what? That costs money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And guess what? That costs time. Everybody doesn't have the time or everybody doesn't have the ability to move to a different side of their desk like I just did to come <laughs> and talk to you. Like they don't, you know? Right. So right. so we have to think about that. And then we have our historical cultural biases that we're bringing in anyway. You know, mm-hmm. I I say this all of the time. Like I, I like to, I've gotten to the point that now that I'm older, even though I'm still young for my age. <laughs> I don't fight as much. I, I just, I repeat back what mm-hmm. someone says so they can hear it. Or I ask a question to cut like, so you're saying X, Y, and Z, correct? I'm hearing you mm-hmm. correctly. And you'd be surprised the difference in how people are evaluating different 
candidates because of their biases. So mm-hmm. someone with an MBA from Wharton, mm-hmm. okay? That person, I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna keep it 100, it's you. Like that person barely gets interviewed. They don't get asked hard questions. Right, of course they not. They don't. They they have, the rigors of the program is what is what is selling them. It's, it is the mental model around mm-hmm. what is acceptable, right? Yep. It's the mental model around culture fit. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll get along with everybody here. Will they will they like the manager? Will the manager like them? Will the team like them? Will they fit into our cookie cutter culture that we have here? Well, no, they don't fit. But here's something that got me going a few months ago. I had a young lady that I was coaching and she was interviewing for a pretty robust job. Okay. She had, I think, 15 interviews. And I'm, because I was coaching her through the interviews. I want to say 15 interviews is what she had totally. Okay. And at the end of the 15 interviews, she met with every layer of this organization, every single layer of this organization. Mm -hmm. And at the end, they went with the internal candidate who had applied for the job. So what do you see? And I'm telling you, because I was coaching her. Every time there was a call, she dialed me up and said, I have another interview with them. Let's run the interview. And so I was running the interviews with her over and over and over again. And I would say, no, no, no. Remember, this is what That's they can ask many. for. This is what they're going to do. This was my, what, they, what they're going to do, right? In the end, and it was 60, probably five, six days from the beginning of the process, from the, I'm filling out the application and they called me mm-hmm. to, from the, into the ATS to the last thing was about 65 to 66 days. And in between, there was 15 plus interviews. So if you are coaching someone, cause I know that you work with people. If you're coaching them, I, I'll give you an example. I talk about my son all the time. My son is in tech. And I remember when he first went from working for startups as an independent contractor to deciding to take a corporate job, as he called mm-hmm. it. I went corporate mom. Okay. Mm-hmm. He had a recruiter that took his resume and said, no, 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 we're not doing this. And fixed it all up, right? Yeah. Made it look nice. And then walked him through what the interview was going to look like. Yes. Right. And then got him pumped up and ready for the interview. So if I'm a Black woman candidate coming to you for a job that may not quite fit the mold. What do you say to me? I do the same thing that that recruiter did. I, I help you, I help, and I I tell you, I, I give you your control. Like I tell you the things that you can and cannot control in the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tell you to not compromise your must-haves. Like if something is making you uncomfortable, like you don't have to, subject yourself to that you know if you're in an interview and someone macro aggresses you Mm -hmm. please let me know Mm -hmm. take note of that or end the interview like that's up to you too you it's it's up to you when enough is enough (laughs) like enough Mm -hmm. is enough Mm -hmm. and 17 interview like or 15 interview listen five is too many like that's a lot now, right. I, I don't know, Christina and I were, were interviewed for HR Brew, that morning brew part yeah. of, yeah. yeah. 
So, and it was about the interview process. And I talked about how the number of interviews should be comparable to the job level. So mm. if, you're in a, if you're interviewing for a CEO or even for a C-suite position, prepare to right. go through multiple rounds of interviews. Mm-hmm. But if you are coming in as an, as an analyst with two years, you know, a job that requires two mm. years of experience, is very repetitive, anything like that, you don't need four or five interviews, five, five hours worth of interviews. No, you don't. Like Mm -hmm. it doesn't take that long. I Mm -hmm. promise you it doesn't. And one of the things I do is I do that up front because I have to explain to people what that, what that does, not just for the candidate experience, but what I like to call the recruiter experience, because for every person that you're talking to, I am exponentially engaged with more people. So I'm engaged with the hiring manager. I'm engaged with the candidate. I'm engaged with the talent acquisition coordinator, you know, I'm engaged with, with HR, with my, like all these people who have to, you know, who are weighing in on this process. And I have to make sure, especially when it comes to coordinating schedules, that all of these things work, you know, right. and that's a lot. And that's just for one person. So for every one person, I could have four that mm-hmm. have, that are involved in this. And I, I, I need people to understand that. So please don't interview, like, and don't interview 11 people. Like you don't need- but that was the other thing I was going to ask you. How many people for a job is too many people? It depends. Like how, how many, you know, all right. There was a time, and I'll go back and date myself. When, when I was out of college, it was a recession. Mm-hmm. And there were PhDs applying for entry-level jobs because yeah. it was bad, right? We're yes. talking in the 80s, okay? Mm-hmm. Fast forward to the 90s, we had the same thing back in 91. Same mm-hmm. thing went on. In Fast 2000, we had the same thing in 2000. After September 11th, we had the same yep. thing happen. Then we fast forward to 2008 and we just went straight full on global depression, right? Yep. You're right. <laughs> now we're in pandemic land, right? Mm-hmm. I Every morning, I have a, a routine that I do, right? I turn on the TV to CNBC. And I end at CNBC at night and I start at CNBC, not a plug for CNBC, just what I do, right? And I do a start and end because I want to hear at the beginning of the the night, like 11 o'clock, the global markets open. Mm -hmm. I'm not a stock person. What I'm listening for is for, for, to understand and hear what's going on out in the world and out in the economy, what these economists, these paid talking heads on economy are saying. Because for me, it is an impact not only to my business, but to the clients that I'm serving yeah. and how I show up for them. And then in the mornings, I open with that nine o'clock and I hear what's going on. So the buzz right now is, well, we're going to enter a, a recession. And you know, recessions cause people to be terminated. Yep. You got a lot and of people that's being laid off. Right. And, and I've quietly seen under the shovel here, just quietly, 5,000 people laid off. 3,000 people laid off, 2,000 people laid off. It's quietly happening, right? Quietly happening. Netflix just let go. They a brought in division. a whole bunch of Black people, right? Yep. And this is, this is the thing that we also have to talk about when it comes to talent acquisition. <sighs> Organizations will want to recruit Black people. You bring us in the door. And we're the first ones cut. And we're the first ones out the door. Yeah. We're the first ones that you look around and say, who on the team should be eliminated? 
You know, one of the things in this, I think it's tonight I'm actually speaking or it's next week. We started this thing in 2008 called HR in Transition. Because oh, what nice. we found was in 2008, the hardest people, the first people who got let go in 2008 were the HR folks. Mm-hmm. HR got let go first. HR and recruiters, they yep. were gone, out the door. And, and anybody that said, I'm an HR generalist, they were gone because they couldn't figure out what you did and what the journalist meant. And they got rid of you. If you were payroll, you stayed. If you were yeah. benefits, you stayed. If you were somebody important that we, we ah, you stayed. But yeah. if you were the generalist, I'm the jack of all trades, you were out the door. Mm-hmm. And I still see HR people making that mistake now because they think they're not, that they aren't touchable. HR hmm. was the first folks terminated in the, in the rate recession. Yeah. Right? Then it came to the minorities and the women. But where are we? But in, in corporate America, a lot of the no, no, no. Like, where are your where are your 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 underrepresented talent? They're they're usually concentrated in certain groups, yes. and, and and when those groups are the ones that go first, they're the ones that go first. That go first. Yes. So I mean, you look at HR. So. What we've we've all seen the, the the studies like HR leadership is very heavily one thing HR right. you know practitioners are heavily one thing and there's a lot of black people black women specifically mm-hmm. in HR functions right right and and that's the first set of folks that because hey we're not hiring so we don't need you that we yeah. that's why we got the ATS we could just suck things out of there and they've got self-service benefits and we got the software that they can. Oh yeah. Now that, now that did. So I remember I did, I went through two self self, you know, when we were doing employee self-service, I went through two employee self-service things for a global company and that did adversely affect our HR people. And to the point that people like hated it, like, Oh, we're outsourcing our HR. You just got a message from Aaron Dillard. Yeah. see you good to see joining you. us today this has been a good conversation on on talent acquisition really good conversation on talent acquisition so 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 tell me now as we sort of wrap up we've got about four or five minutes left okay. tell me tell me first off from the employer lens mm. what do you want to see when it comes again restate for me how you think we fail diverse tan- can- candidates. Let's say that one more time so okay. everybody can hear that piece. And then tell me what you want to see happen going forward. How we're failing diverse talent. We're yeah. not going where they are. We're mm-hmm. not, ha- we, we, we are not making our opportunities accessible in a balanced way, meaning we're, we're siloing them into certain career tracks and levels on that track okay so there's that there's no balance across the organization we're also letting our biases control how we are evaluating them we're we're injecting certain things like you know i i started slowing down my speech i'm from south jersey as you know and I promise you, if you saw me around my family, like once I'm like been there for about an hour or so, you probably wouldn't be able to understand anything I said. Or you would be like, <laughs> is that the same person? You know, so, you know, there, there's that. Like, don't, they don't, 
they, they don't speak correctly. Their language is off. You know, I get that a lot for folks for whom English is not their first language. People who are very highly educated, very, you know, whatever. And they're like, well, I, th they didn't, they missed a comma. Like, you know, like the, the evaluation becomes a lot more stringent or they, or I get asked certain questions just based on someone's name. Well, we don't have money to, you know, to, to get them a visa. I'm sorry, Did they what? ask you for a visa? Correct. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, like a lot of assumptions are made up front. And, and it used to be this way, again, when, when it was more, when, when it was, you know, people going to brick and mortar, like 100%, like certain certain locations, you know, we, were, we would be screening people out by their zip code. Like, this is too far away. You know, well, they're not going to want to travel this far. Or they're like, don't make decisions for other people. Or I don't have relocation for them. Now you have a relocation for this person. You don't have relocation for that person. So there, there's that. What was your second question? I forgot that. Yes, well, the second question is, what do you want them to do? Because we, we, we need to do a part two, and we'll do that yeah. in, a, in a little bit. Because the part two is, I want to pick up on this the next time you and I get together, where we talk about the salary negotiation income, uh, okay, and the difference between how recruiters navigate the salary and leave money on the table or because we don't know how to we don't have as much power depending on the organization i promise you we don't have as much power as mm. you think as as we're given but because we are the liaison because we're the person who who brings and returns the information between the like we're the ones that are the midpoint of that negotiation right. it makes it seem like we're in charge but we don't we don't a lot of times actually have the power to make power. that decision. I can advocate for people. And I think, and I explain that in a way that people see that. Like I got an email, I got an email yesterday, actually, you know, it was someone who came back and asked for, for more money. And, you know, I had already explained what else, and I, I told them what I was going to do and what the possible outcomes were. And they said, okay, listen, here's what I, here, here's what we talked about. Again, we ran down. Here's what we talked about. Here's what I asked for. Here is why. And they said, thank you for, for championing this for me. And mm. like that kind of stuff, like that makes, that makes me feel good. So I need people to understand because we get a bad rep, you know, like recruiters are holding <laughs> on to your money. No, we're not. <laughs> Especially those of us who work in a corporate organization because we don't get paid for, for, for your hire. Like we're not compensated. We don't get a portion of your salary. And for, and, and honestly, for the third party recruiters who do get a portion of your salary, the more you make, the, the more they make. <laughs> so, so please get that out of your head. But yeah, I, I want us, so to answer your question, I want us to take a step back to stop making excuses and to stop applying old and short-term you know, answers to our diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging strategies and not, and, and also, I think what's missing is that we put recruiting at the forefront, but we also need to think about it in 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 tandem. Is that the right word? You know, I don't know a lot of words on Fridays. In in tandem with retention, because right. recruiting and retention go hand and mm -hmm. hand in hand. So yep. we need to be thinking about once we get 
these people here. Once we build up, you know, once once our diversity uh, pipeline is healthy and mm-hmm. and robust, and once we have talent in our organizations, what are we doing to retain them? Yep, and that is the kicker, and that is the truth. And it's not enough to just hire us. I said it a couple weeks ago. Nope. You cannot ask for our skills and don't want our ambition. And that is the key. If you want our skills, you need to empower our ambition, which means that you put fuel and fire underneath our talent development. Yes. Period. There's no, it's not negotiable. If you want our skills, you darn sure need to ask about our ambition. And if you don't ask about our ambition then you probably shouldn't be hiring us. And for those of us who are black professionals and brown professionals, Hispanic, Asian, black folks out here who are and and Native American folks who are out here trying to get hired in these organizations, we need to do a better job of interviewing them Mm -hmm. and asking, once I get hired, what happens next? And don't be afraid to, to go where, like, don't stay someplace where you're not wanted. Don't right. stay someplace where you're where where you're not growing and where you're not thriving. Don't don't be like me and be sitting in the parking lot crying, you know, or or having to make a phone call before you can even go in there carrying your Bible. Church ladies <laughs> throwing holy water on you yes. on Sunday. Uh, call on, on Jesus. We'll pray you up to go back on yes. Monday. Just call to- on Jesus, Allah, Buddha, all of them. Just somebody help me, please, because these people, yes. So yeah, we, we gotta we gotta know when to to move on to. Got it. Well, thank you so much. So before we close, tell us how to reach you. If folks want to follow you on social media, tell us all the places we can find you. Yes, I'm everywhere at Trap Recruiter, T-R-A-P-R-E-C-R-U-I-T-E-R. Horrible. I hope you spell better than I do. Yeah, everywhere at Trap Recruiter on LinkedIn, even you can just type in Trap Recruiter or my name, Kirsten Greggs. I know Kirsten can be hard to spell. So trap recruiter is the easiest thing everywhere. You, I'm everywhere. Trap recruiter. Great. And for those of you who are watching, you can always visit us at inclusionlearninglab.com and join our weekly program here at Fridays at 2 p.m. We're live on LinkedIn, YouTube, sometimes Facebook, sometimes Twitter. It depends. <laughs> Today we are live on LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter. You can also listen to the recording on your favorite podcast and download it and like it and share it and tell your friends. Now that I'm on, now that I'm on all the all the podcast apps, please let your friends know that I am there and, and share this this podcast episode with them. So as we go out the door. I want to thank you for showing up today. I want to thank you, Kirsten, for being here with me. And this was fun. Yes, thank you. Let's do it again soon. Yes. All right. Yeah. You're like a circle that floats around me, keeping me safe and sound. And when I fall, you've tied a rope to me. You're blessing me every day. I was down with an illusion Like a sparrow with broken wings But now I shine with your reflection on me I'm getting back up on my feet